The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. Good morning and welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation, which we officially call human. I'm Jim Nickens and I'm pleased to serve as your worship associate today. On behalf of Reverend Dave Dunn, Alex Peach, our music director, and Ayana Coffey, our director of religious exploration and membership coordinator, I welcome you. I also want to thank the worship team that helps put these services together and this week's man behind the curtain, John Pruitt. We are a liberal religious community guided by several principles, which can be found on our website. Our vision is to be a vital and visible community for all, bravely working toward the day when social, economic, and environmental justice is a reality. Imagine a spiritual community where diversity is celebrated and all are welcome, where children are taught to love, not fear, where different beliefs are considered a strength. Whatever path you're on, wherever your journey's taking you, whoever you love, you are welcome here just as you are. Now, 
take a deep breath, settle your mind, open your heart, and prepare to be in this virtual space together. I have a few announcements. Today marks the beginning of this year's second hour religious education program. Children's RE will begin virtually at 1115. We will also have our first adult education course for the year from 1130 to 1215 today. The course is entitled The Toltec Wisdom of the Four Agreements. It will be facilitated by Yasin Fari and Dave Dunn. A link to the class can be found on the human calendar and in the upcoming events of the webpage. Feel free to join us for the session at 1130. Please check the calendar and human announcements to find out more about what's going on around the church. And now an announcement from Reverend Dave. Good morning, all. How are you this morning? Um, this morning's 50-50 will be for our partner church in Masanjri, India. And Michelle Lieber-Gazelle will speak to the details of that a little bit later uh, during the offertory section. But I would like to talk a little bit about our partnership because we haven't done that in a while. And we have a few um, members of the Masanjri Church on this Zoom call. Um, I see that um, Sandy Mon Marbo is on the call. She is in her early 20s, and we met her over there uh, when we were there. And Michelle uh, and uh, has a has known her for a long time. And I think Barry Muckham is also on, who's been our main contact with the Mossendry Church. So I want to welcome them. Uh, it's probably nighttime over there. Uh, welcome them on this call. So our partner church is in Mossendry, India, as I mentioned. Um, it's situated in the Kasi Hills in the Indian state of Meghalaya, which is in the far northeastern part of India, kind of uh, just uh, between Bhutan and Bangladesh. Um, and it actually feels a little bit more like Asia than actually India. Uh, I was over there in 2018, had the pleasure to go over there and Barry hosted us and took care of us over there. Uh, located in close proximity to the church, is a school and a, the children's village housing for uh, orphan children. Uh, we are partnered with a church in Mossendry. The First Unitarian Church of Pittsburgh is partnered with the school, and the First Unitarian Church of Dallas is partnered with the children's village. Now, there are many Unitarian churches in the Kasi Hills. Our partner church relationship has been managed through the Unitarian Universalist Partner Church Council, the UUPCC. They manage partner church relationships throughout the world from UU churches in the United States and North America and throughout the world. The UUPCC, however, is in the process of dissolving and possibly combining with another organization called the ICUU, the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists. But this is still ongoing. We don't know how long it will take. This is not a dissolution of our partner church relationship, however. Okay, the UUPCC is simply no longer going to be facilitating our relationship with the church in Mossendry. So we're going to keep you posted as to how this transition is going to take place. 
And I ask that you be very generous with our 50-50 uh, later today to support the Mastery Church. Thank you. And now we will have a membership announce announcement from Ayana. Good morning. For y'all who don't know me yet, I'm Ayana Tuffy. I'm Human Membership Coordinator as well as the DRE. If you're new today, I know some of you are, we'd love to have the opportunity to greet you personally. Take a moment to visit our webpage at human.org. There on the homepage, you'll find an online visitor form. After filling it out, one of the amazing members of the membership committee will contact you. For more ways to connect, you can join us right after service at Coffee and Conversation, and then following that at Adult Religious Exploration. You can also reach out to us at membership at human.org. We'd love to answer any questions that you have about the community. Good morning once again. The poet Rumi writes, push the hair out of your eyes, take the cotton out of your ears, blow the phlegm from your nose and from your brain, tear the binding from around the foot of your soul, loosen the knot of greed so tight on your neck and let the wind breeze through. Leave no residue in yourself from that bilious fever. Cry out, don't be stolid and silent in your pain. Lament, give your weakness to one who helps and let the milk of love flow into you. And don't ask for just one mercy, let them flood in. Let the sky open under your feet. Good morning. For every time we make a mistake and we decide to start again, we light this chalice. For every time we are lonely and we let someone be our friend, we light this chalice. For every time we are disappointed and we choose to hope, we light this chalice. community on this very planet with a set of siblings with identical green stones. The stones shine brightly and are small enough to fit right in their hands. The children take their prized stones everywhere, often playing with them, holding them up to the sun or putting them in the clear water of the ocean. But one day, Johnny, one of the siblings lost his stone. He looked everywhere. Then he looked at his sister Katie's green stone and because his was missing, hers seemed even bigger and shinier than ever. Maybe his green stone had disappeared into hers. 
You've stolen my green stone, he said. No way, said Katie. Johnny frowned at her and tried to grab her green stone. Then, even the memory of the feeling of having his green stone vanished. As days passed, Johnny became more and more depressed. He sat for hours under a big tree, casting mean looks and muttering cruel words as people passed. Sometimes, Katie would sit with him and let him play with her green stone. At first, Johnny liked that because holding it made him forget his situation. But sometimes it would only amplify his feelings of anger. One of these days, Johnny tried to steal Katie's stone, pretending he was his. He held it tight in his hand and he told her that she was the one he was stealing. But when he loosened his fist, his, he saw that it was a common stone and that Katie's own fist was glowing green. Johnny knew at that moment how wrong he had been. Because he and Katie had so much trust, he immediately set to tell her of his realization. I'll never try to steal your stone again. I just miss mine so much. Will you help me find it? Katie looked at her brother's face and knew that he was telling the truth. But she also liked the power that she held. She puffed up her chest and was about to deny him when she saw the light of her own stone dimming. No, she thought, of course I will help my brother. And she told him so. Off they went hand in hand through the community. They stumbled upon Mr. Old Rose Hart's house, a community elder. Katie saw Johnny hesitate and nudged him. I'm scared to talk to Mr. Rosehart because I called him a bad name. Katie understood, but she said, if you don't go and talk to him, how will we know if he's seen your stone? Johnny walked up to the porch and approached Mr. Rosehart, who had paused sweeping when he saw them come by. Mr. Rosehart, Johnny began, because I was unkind, because I called you a bad name, I lost my green stone. Oh no, replied the elder. I'll help you look. And with that, the sleeping was forgotten. They looked on the porch, through the yard, through his garden full of flowers, and found nothing. Mr. Rosehart suggested that they continue looking elsewhere. The party moved from yard to yard, community center to park, forest to sidewalk. On the way, Johnny spoke to everyone, acknowledging the harm wherever he had caused it. And in response, the community began to help Johnny on his quest until everyone was gathered, tired and talking, under the big tree. Johnny around, moved, that everyone had given up their afternoon and something that he had lost. This stone was magical and connected to both heart and action. So he knew that this was something that he could only find alone. He asked Katie why they all chose to stay with him. Because, she said, we wanted to be here when we found your stone. She pointed to Johnny's hand. His fist that was empty a moment ago was now glowing. He jumped up and started dancing around the tree, unable to contain his joy. 
he clutched his fist to his chest and let out a big whoop. The community smiled and laughed. They welcomed the rising of a bright green sun in his heart, which they knew was Johnny's love for them. Its warm light overflowing his fingers clutched close to his chest. Sometimes forgiveness is asked for. Sometimes forgiveness is given before you can even form the words. And sometimes forgiveness from your community comes as direct result of making right with yourself. When we share our lives together, we strengthen the bonds of our community. Please enter the joys and sorrows you want to share into the chat window. There will be an extended musical interlude to give everyone time. I want to drop a pebble of remembrance for all those killed in the 9-11 attacks and their families. I want to drop another pebble for those sorrows still too tender and the joys still too dear to share. Let's all keep each other in the circle.
This is a reading by Michael Durall called UUs Never Do Anything Wrong. I often remind UUs, sometimes facetiously and sometimes not, of our extraordinary ability never to do anything wrong. Since we don't believe in sin, no one ever commits any. We're all good people, you know. We don't need Yom Kippur, a day of atonement, like the Jews. We don't examine our consciences like the Catholics. We don't concern ourselves with guilt over deeds done or undone like the Christians. We don't require forgiveness since we rarely, if ever, do harm to others in word or deed. We are just fine as we are. Our lives don't need to be changed. And we certainly don't view the church as having a say in these matters. Forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves. It allows us to unburden ourselves and move into the future with healthy relationships with the people around us. But what do we do when we feel wronged by our institutions? 20 years after 9-11, I find myself still filled with anger about how our country responded to 9-11. We started wars that killed hundreds of thousands of people and displaced millions of refugees. The premises for the wars were based on blind rage and mendacity. Why did we really invade Iraq? That question remains unanswered. We built a torture regime and literally tortured innocent people to death, seemingly, seemingly just for the sport of it. There are still prisoners in Guantanamo, Guantanamo awaiting trials that the military seems unable or unwilling to conduct in a proper manner. We now rain hell on people worldwide using drones based on the thinnest of evidence. So much has gone so wrong in our names as citizens in the past 20 years, yet no one is held responsible. There's no prospect of a Bush, Cheney, or Rice spending a single day behind a defendant's table let alone a prison cell. The architects of this disaster sit on corporate boards in endowed chairs and occupy corner offices of the institutions that make up the foreign policy and national security deep state. The institutions of government and the media, the establishment in general, are unwilling to hold anyone accountable besides a few low-level whistleblowers. How can any of this be forgiven if, if there is no prospect of justice? Continuing impunity compounds the harm. This was all done in our name, and we are all implicated in this collective denial of justice. It corrodes our society and destroys the legitimacy of our institutions. A dumb kid can steal a $500 car and have his life ruined. A national security advisor can authorize torture and end up at Stanford. I'll just stay mad.
Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Alex. And another thank you that I failed to mention is uh, that this stole that I'm wearing was given to uh, me by the congregation in Mossentry, and I treasure it. Um, it's so wonderful to be wearing it uh, and that it was given uh, as a gift to human and to me, a gift of love. So thank you to our friends from Mossentry for this. <clears throat> Is there any act that expresses a religious sentiment more thoroughly, more completely, more wholeheartedly than an act of forgiveness? I mean, one could argue that acts of love, good works, charity could possibly compete, uh, could better express the religious sentiment than, than forgiveness. But even the Gospel of Luke says, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, and even sinners lend to sinners. I suppose one could still argue successfully that these sentiments, and possibly others, might outdo forgiveness. But to forgive and to be forgiven, that can be a tough one. It takes some effort. One often must dig deep to seek and grant forgiveness. I'm not sure, but I believe that forgiveness possibly is the best example of the religious sentiment. That is, unless it isn't. Unless forgiveness is, in reality, the usurper of justice unless forgiveness is at its root, at its very core, unethical. Could this be so? Well, according to 19th century Christian and existentialist philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, it is so. Without doing a deep dive into his philosophy, he sees religion in ethics as two separate distinct areas of life, of society, religion and ethics separate. Ethics is essentially a socially agreed upon set of norms and behaviors adjudicated by systems of justice. Religion to Kierkegaard is a personal unmediated relationship of an individual to God. So in short, a personal religious act of forgiveness is an intrusion of the religious into the social realm of ethics and justice for Kierkegaard. Shockingly, for him, forgiveness is unethical. And maybe he has a point. Author and journalist Isabel Wilkerson in her book, Cast, The Origin of Our Discontents, 
touches upon the notion that white people's need for forgiveness in matters of race is a consistent interrupter in people of color's need for justice. When nine black parishioners were executed at a Charleston church in 2015, almost all of the victims' families forgave the young white man who was eventually convicted for the crime. An apparently unrepentant young white man who continued to write white supremacist hate from his prison cell long after the episode itself. Essayist and author Roxane Gay comments on this episode saying white people, white people embrace narratives about forgiveness so they can pretend the world is a fairer place than it actually is. And that racism is merely a vestige of a painful past instead of an indelible part of the present. What white people are really asking for when they demand forgiveness from a traumatized community is absolution. They want absolution from the racism that infects us all, even though forgiveness cannot reconcile America's racist sins. Roxanne Gay. Sadly, this is a perfect illustration of what Kierkegaard is talking about, a religious act of forgiveness and absolution as interrupters of social justice and ethics. Wow, where, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Maybe Michael Doral, the author of today's reading, is right. Maybe we, you, use, nor anyone else, really need forgiveness. <clears throat> well, let's look at it from another perspective. The Laguna Pueblo people, uh, indigenous to North America, who now live, reside in New Mexico, show us a different way to respond to transgressions. They gather as an entire community and publicly recount, publicly air all the individual transgressions for all to hear, children included. No stone is left unturned, no matter how painful. What this says, in effect, is that there is nothing that you can do no transgression so abhorrent, no humiliation so humiliating that will separate you from your tribe, your clan. And looking at the history of the tribe, everything that you've done has been done before by others in the past. And everything that you've done will be done again by others in the future. Is this forgiveness? Is this something else? Is it repairing covenant with the community? Though we've broken our vows a thousand times, Rumi says. Well, if it's not forgiveness, does it end up at the same place? 
Everything that is true and beautiful is always full of forgiveness. These are the words of Father Zosima, the elder of the town monastery in Dostoevsky's novel, The Brothers Karamazov. Everything that is true and beautiful is full of forgiveness. He also says something in that book and something that Jim alluded to, that we are responsible for everything. That's an equally shocking claim to Kierkegaard's that forgiveness is unethical. That if, yet if we are responsible for everything, if this is the case, and in a deeply and never-endingly flawed world, a responsible, true and beautiful self must be deeply and never-endingly filled with forgiveness. And since everything to which we are responsible isn't always extending forgiveness to us, it must mean that to be true and beautiful, we must extend forgiveness to ourselves. I believe that's what hell is. Hell is when the self, hell is what the self creates when it lacks or refuses to grant self-forgiveness. Hell is what we create when we lack or refuse to grant ourselves self-forgiveness. Learning, giving oneself permission to forgive oneself is an important spiritual practice, and it is not an easy practice. We all have unexplainable obstacles and hang-ups that can prevent us from moving forward. Rather than viewing an obstacle as an opportunity for practice, we often treat the obstacle, our obstacle, as an adversary in a game, one having a definite winner and loser. And as Dr. Seuss said in one of his books, these are games you can't win because you play against you. We often find it difficult to forgive ourselves in crucial instances when we think that we've failed our families, loved ones, spouses, friends. And if this is the case, if there is some, if you have some phantom obstacle that is preventing you from forgiving yourself, from self-forgiving regarding life's most important, crucial matters, perhaps you should take up a regular practice and a relatively less important matter where you routinely and repeatedly fail, where you routinely and re repeatedly disappoint yourself. Take up exercise or art, some creative activity where you can't paint like Van Gogh. Or maybe it's prayer. A writer who uses the pen name Sparrow uses meditation. He says, one virtue of meditation is that you learn to forgive yourself 
Each day you fail at pure concentration and each day you compassionately accept your failure. Ideally, this repeated self-forgiveness will eventually lead to friend forgiveness, spouse forgiveness, and even world forgiveness. So, your repeated failures can be a practice to cultivate self-forgiveness, friend forgiveness, spouse forgiveness, and even world forgiveness. So again, where does that leave us now? Do I subscribe to Kierkegaard's view that forgiveness is unethical? Or do I subscribe to Father Zosima's view that everything that is true and beautiful is full of forgiveness? Maybe my answer is yes. Though, at the, I think I'm far closer to Father Zosima's view. However, I must keep an eye out for Kierkegaard's forgiveness as an usurper of justice. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, begins at sundown on Wednesday. It's the holiest day in the Judaic calendar where, where those seek atonement for wrongdoings. We can grant forgiveness to others. We can seek forgiveness from others. And these are important acts. Yet our forgiveness from others may not necessarily be granted to us. Yet for us to be filled with truth and beauty, it's up to us then to be responsible for that filling through a sacrament. I will call it a sacrament, yes, of self-forgiveness. Filling, refilling, filling, refilling. Because we've broken our vows a thousand times. Amen. to talk about 50-50 and um, this month's recipient is our partner church, Mossendry. Um, our relationship with Mossendry began 11 years ago in 2010 when our social justice committee um, was exploring the theme of the year, water. And um, we were completing this matrix and um, for a local, we could consider the work that we do in cleaning, helping to clean the Chattahoochee River. But um, in looking at the, the international block, 
um, we were looking around at, okay, how can we study water internationally? And um, our minister at the time, Reverend Paul, knew about the um, Unitarian Universalist Partner Church Council. And uh, so we looked it up on the website and found this Unitarian, um, you know, churches in um, Northeast India who did not have, um, you know, drinkable tap water. Um, and so that was the end of that. But then, um, so what we did is we completed an application to the uh, UUPCC and we created a steering committee that visited the different committees at UMAN. And um, then there was a congregation vote to be a member of the UUPCC. Um, so after the vote was approved, that we were matched with Mossendry. Um, so then what? It was like 2011 and uh, we had this partner and I know I was anxious. I was afraid of them. Um, and we just maybe exchanged a postcard or two. But then in 2014, um, three members of our congregation, including um, Rick Irwin and Paula Watson, um, Pat Lampert, um, went with the UUCA choir. And that was um, arranged by John Dale, who was the UUPCC travel consultant. Um, so they went uh, to sing to the the choirs um, or the churches in Mossendry, and I hear they were treated like rock stars there. Um, so anyway, um, I know in 2015, um, Mike and I joined a pilgrimage to Mossendry, um, and to we met Barry and Nangroy, and actually stayed in their home. Um, we also met, we stayed in their home with Karen Litzinger from um, the Pittsburgh church where Dave did his internship um, with. And um, so we just had a great time. I mean, I'm still in touch with um, Karen. But anyway, um, so, um, so then I agreed to sponsor Sanamon, who's on the call today for her bachelor's degree. Um, and I did so, Mike and I did so for three years and it was $600 a year to send Sanamon. And it's, you know, given me a great feeling. So the, we did that for a few years. And then the last couple of years, um, I actually gave the money to human um, to give to Sanamon. So human, you have sponsored Sanamon for her bachelor's degree in zoology. Uh, which she has completed and she now has a job in the village um, teaching, um, I think, sixth and seventh grade. Um, so anyway, Barry taught, met with members of the church and a list was compiled of their needs. Uh, one of the things we did was give them a, uh, we gave them money to build a bell tower but their bell has broken so they could use another bell 
Um, also, the roof, the roof leaks pretty badly. I think it's about to um, fall in, maybe. And on the list is a teacher salary, which I think that is about a thousand dollars a a year for an annual teacher salary. So um, anyway, please give generously. I have. Um, you can either give through Giveify or you can mail a check to human. Um, and if you're gonna mail a check, make sure it gets there before the end of the month um, because to, to count. Um, and just remember that human gets half of the designated 50-50 offering for the work that we do. So you're also supporting human. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. In an effort to fulfill and further the vision and mission of this congregation, we ask that our members and friends bring forth and share their many and varied gifts. With this, we will now take the offering using the Giveify app.
We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we meet again. Rabbi Joseph Beresolovich says that repentance is an act of creation, an act of self-creation. May your act of self-forgiveness be a healing act of self-recreation. And may it then begin to heal and recreate our world. Go in peace and enjoy your week. Thank you.